0: Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Middle Squared as have many of our guests Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash C-Y-B-O and enter the code C-Y-B-O. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash C-Y-B-O. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond with your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Well, we want to get into more of these tips and practice design. Um, What do you think coaches can do, like a practice tomorrow to incorporate ecological dynamics?
1: (laughs) I'll give you my answer. I'll give you my real answer and I'll give you my (laughs) tongue in cheek answer. Uh, My tongue in cheek answer, and I apologize to coaches who are listening. This is just a joke, sort of, uh, but is uh, sit down, shut up for about an hour. Um, You know, it's what I did, honestly. I started coming to practice saying, I just need to watch more. And you learn a lot about yourself, you learn a lot about your own patience and limits. And the kids start to learn more from each other and from themselves. Um, which are all ecological dynamics principles. Um, you know, you could probably make it nicer and just say, you know, give less, give talk less. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think, uh, you know, some real specific things that I think people could do um, to incorporate some of these ideas into um, practice. Uh, one would be to incorporate more variability into practice, like right away. Um, you know, uh take an activity that you're already doing. Doesn't matter where it falls on the spectrum of IP versus ecod or whatever, blocked versus random, doesn't matter. Take an activity you like, make it more variable. You've moved it towards more of an ecological dynamics approach. Doesn't matter what it is, it could be hitting lines, make it more variable, <laughs> you know. Uh, serve pass you know you got servers versus passers make it more variable figure out a way to make it more make the the activity itself and the movements within the activity more variable while still having the intent of getting the same low variability outcome so um, in, the,
2: in like a serve pass you're- You'd have the servers maybe vary the types of uh maybe a four-step a two-step from different spots on the end line sure, you the yep. pa- passers starting in different receive spots and and moving around uh each yep. time is that those are kind yep. of yep. i, I agree. agree yeah and yep. you
1: could even go so far as to start incorporating some ideas of differential learning in there too um, i mean differential learning is basically an extreme version of incorporating variability into practice and so maybe you're talking to your server about hitting a, a serve with side spin, hitting a serve with backspin, doing a jump serve, even if they're not good at it, having the passer, hey, I want you to pass the ball that doesn't go any higher than the top of the net. Okay, this time I want you to pass the ball that goes all the way to the ceiling. This time I want you to put backspin on the ball when you pass it. This time I want you to put side spin on the ball when you pass it. Um, just throwing things, you know, I want you to pass the ball while balancing on one leg this time. I want you to Pass the ball with one arm this time, you know, and that is more prescriptive, but it's not prescriptive in the sense that we want them to learn that movement pattern. It's Mm -hmm. it's prescript, it's more of like a challenge. That's the way I always say it. I I just have a challenge for you. Try this. It's not how we pass a ball, but I just want you to try it because I think in trying this, you're gonna learn about yourself and you're gonna learn how your body works, you're gonna learn how the ball works, right? I mean, one of the ways that I teach kids how to get topspin on a ball when they're hitting is to. Hit a ball with their elbow and put topspin on it and then hit it with their knee and put topspin on it so they can start to understand what is the relationship between their body and the ball that actually puts topspin on the ball. That's differential learning. That's That's variability, right? Variability does not necessarily always have to mimic, be an exact replica of what happens in the game. It can be beyond that and still be beneficial towards the learning process.
2: Yeah, I think with that, just like you had said before, when you are going through Rob's explanation, within the variability, the intention is to serve it tough, so you get them in trouble, right? We want right. the same outcome. Or as a passer, even though you are passing with one arm or on one foot, your intention is to see if you can, you know, pass the ball that your setter could set. Right.
1: So the 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 outcome that we're aiming for, the intent of the action, is the same as the com- competitive environment. That is what we want them to be focused on: is what is my intent of this action on the ball. If I'm hitting and you say, Hey, we want you to hit with your non-dominant hand, which is one of my favorite things to throw at kids. It's still the same intent. I want you to get a kill. Right. But I'm forcing you to do it in a way that you've never really explored before, because you're going to learn something about yourself and you're going to learn something about the ball. And you're going to get a little deeper understanding of the relationship between you and and the ball what in ecological dynamics they call the solution space like what solutions are available to me in this moment the more that you give them the opportunity to explore that space then the more adaptable they are um, when in a competition format so yeah that's the big one for me i think just get make things more variable is a is a huge one um Another one would be uh, just, you know, giving them the, the autonomy to explore solutions. So you're, you're giving them more variability, which means there's a little bit more uncertainty. Let them explore that rather than you just saying, here's how you handle that. Right. That person over there is hitting a side spin serve. This is how you're going to handle that. Well, let them, let them explore it for a little while before you step in and give them the solution. Right. Um, And then I would say that uh, letting your, your letting their voice be heard Mm. more than yours. Mm -hmm. A a lot of times Um, asking questions letting them give answers, letting them come up with what to do next. Honestly, you know, like, what do you guys want to work on? How do you think we should work on that? Um, Then you have to have a a little bit of reins on that. You know, I mean, last night in practice, I asked one of the, uh, one of the girls what she wanted to do. And she's like, I want to do hitting lines. And I was like, okay, well, let's have a conversation about hitting lines. And (laughs) you know, we spent like two minutes talking about the value of hitting lines and how could we make it more valuable for our limited amount of time in the gym. And after two minutes, we'd gotten to the point where we understood that somebody serving to a passer who was passing to the setter who was setting to a hitter was way more valuable than just a coach tossing balls to hitters. Um, And they enjoyed the activity a lot and got a lot out of it. Um, And then, and as we went, we added in blockers and we added in defenders and within 20 minutes of the activity we were basically playing volleyball um so yeah so I think you know that's another thing you can add into your practice is you you got variability you've got adding in some autonomy giving them letting them come up with solutions is a is a really really important thing that I know is it was one of the hardest parts for me as a coach to really just let go of that need for control and that belief that i have the answer and let them come up with solutions and over the years now i'm really happy i've done it cuz i've seen kids come up with solutions i never would have thought of yeah uh, one of my mentors once said to me that if i am if i'm the only one that comes up with solutions on this court then i am the limit of their ability right whereas if i step out of the way and let them come up with solutions then this then they they are their own limit to their own ability which means that they can Potentially go beyond anything I could conceive of, which is really what we want. Yeah, that's
2: that's great. I mean, I think those are some some really good principles to follow. And, and I feel like it's it's not it's possible to get coaches. And I think like the variability sometimes is the low hanging fruit. Like they'll they'll be it bought is. in. Okay, yeah, I, I like that idea of you know changing up serves and serving with some spin, and and they'll they'll buy into that. But what I've heard is the pushback will be. Well, with the young kids at the beginning of the year, we got to teach them the fundamentals first. They've got to learn the, you know, the so-called fundamentals before we can add any variability. How do yeah. you, how do you talk or how do you respond to that?
1: Uh, bet most coaches have completely destroyed the fun part of fundamentals. Um, you know, I yeah. mean, well, really what I think it comes down to is that most people have been brainwashed in some way or another into believing everyone, believing the same things are the fundamentals of volleyball. Um, I don't I think yes the fundamentals are the fundamentals they are the most important thing we should be teaching the kids and we should teach it to them first however I don't think passing setting blocking hitting digging are the fundamentals of volleyball I think the principles of the game are the fundamentals of volleyball the rules don't let the ball hit the ground make the ball go over the net and hit the ground on the other side those are the principles of the game that I think we need to teach first and you teach that by playing games that reward that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing it with volleyball specific contacts to start with. Like when I start with beginners, um, you know, let's say I was with a group of fifth graders or something who would had little or no experience with the game. The first thing I would do is have them play a game of hot potato over the net where they're catching the ball and throwing it over the net. Just don't let it hit the ground. That is the most important principle of, of volleyball. Don't let the ball hit the ground on your side at that age where they haven't learned to pass yet. I don't care. Like let's just catch it, throw it quick enough that the ball's never stopping to move. So there is still that timing element going on, but let's just catch and throw, catch and throw. And now let's catch it, throw to a teammate, who catches it and throws it over the net. Now three of you have to touch it before you send it over the net. Cool. And now, First person's going to catch it and throw it towards the net. Second person's going to catch it and throw it along the net. Third person's going to catch it and throw it over the net. So now we're establishing the flow of play of the game toward the net, along the net, and over the net. You know, none of this stuff is taught to kids when all we teach them is how to pass, how to set, how to serve. I know this because I've worked with a ton of these kids who have spent hours in camps, clinics, and programs where they learn these things. And then you ask them to play a simple game and they can't even play it because they don't know how to, how they don't even know how to, they don't know what to do when the ball's not being tossed to them. They just watch the ball go by, you know? And yeah, you get those kids who are athletic. They've played other sports. They maybe have a volleyball parent at home and they've got more experience and they get into that environment with the fundamental teaching of all the skills and the techniques and they do it. And then they can go out to the game and, play it and people are like okay that kid that kid gets it that kid's coachable like that's one of my biggest issues is is the kid who learns in the way that you taught it is the only coachable kid in the gym but everyone else who couldn't learn it the way you taught it isn't Mm -hmm. coachable Mm -hmm. or maybe (laughs) there's no correlation between what you're doing and how that kid's learning And instead, if we changed how we're teaching, more of the kids could actually learn the concepts that are important. You know, like if I was a seventh grade coach and I was holding tryouts, what would I be more impressed with? The kid that did everything to keep the ball off the ground, even though they didn't have great great technique. Or the kid that had a perfect platform but could never get to the ball. Which one am I going to want on my team? Me, I want the kid that does everything, foot, elbow, head, whatever, keep the ball off the ground. And then, hey, we can guide you through through some games, through some questions, through some demonstrations, in better ways to contact the ball that are going to make you more successful more often, right? But when we start with, here's how you pass the ball. What we've done is The same thing as a math teacher might do if they walk in on the very first day of math class and say 49 and the kids are like what what's that and they're like that's the answer cool we don't know the problem yet you haven't even told us what the problem is yet doesn't matter memorize 49 when the problem shows up you'll know the answer Mm -hmm. right that's what we're doing with volleyball when we grab kids at the age of fifth grade, fourth grade, whatever, and say, here's how you pass. Here's how you set. Here's how you serve without actually starting with the game. First, we need to give them the, not the game of volleyball, but a simplified version of the game that they can actually play and have success with that creates problems for them. And then we can come in and help them solve those problems by showing them some of the techniques that are used in the game of volleyball and now they have a a reason for the technique they know how to apply it in the game instead of just having this movement and having zero really real idea on what it how to actually use it you know and it it seems to me like people have a name for every single derivation of that movement you know the crossover shuffle step the the lateral move the slide step the backward pedal step it's all just passing a volleyball right like Why do we have to name all these different movements because we're teaching them separately. That's why, well, why can't we just let the kids play and say, you know, like I would move from that hot potato game into, okay, now you can't catch the first one. You have to make it, it has to bounce off your arms or your hands go. And then they're going and they're seeing what happens. Some of them one arm, some of them just fists or fists above their head or whatever. And then you, Bring them in and you demonstrate. Here's some ways we've seen other people solve this problem before in the past. Some things we think will help you be a little more successful. You show them how to pass. You show them how to set. And then they, oh, okay, let's try that. And then we go back out and they do it again. And suddenly, I mean, I've taught absolute beginners how to pass a volleyball, how to, you know, in one week consistently well to a teammate without ever once referencing technique yeah, because you start with a game and, and to win the game, they have to do it. So right. they want to do it. Right. Instead of just standing in a line and coach toss it to you, pass it back. Coach toss it to you, pass it back. Oh, you got four points because I thought your pass was good. <laughs> Who's that's such an arbitrary little thing. And you're starting to teach kids that the, 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 the success or failure of their technique of their movement is graded on an arbitrary scale by an adult instead of instead of graded by the game itself, right? The game doesn't care how, what you did, what the game cares is did, did you make the ball go where it needs to go for your team to have success? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's one of my favorite uh, podcast guests we ever had. She talks about how, you know, the kids will, be like barking seals trying to just please the coach instead of you know learning skills but yeah what you're describing is is fun they're learning skills and then this lifelong skill of problem solving that goes way beyond volleyball so yeah i mean it's just a win from so many ways but i think when i asked that question i cut you off because you had some more things on practice design if people are looking to implement the constraints led approach
1: sure um so i think i I mean i said variability if you can introduce and i love you mean you said variability is the low-hanging fruit and i agree it is the easiest place to start, you know, because right. you you don't have to change your activities. And that's an, I guess, an important point I did want to make is ecological dynamics is not a set of activities that are over here, whereas traditional coaching has all these activities over here. Ecological dynamics is more of a way, a lens that we look through at the exact same activities that we're using, right? You don't necessarily have to have different activities yeah some of the activities you're doing are not going to mesh well with ecological dynamics but it's not that you got to learn a whole new set of drills to be an ecological dynamics based coach it's more just a lens that we look through to judge the effectiveness of the activities that we're doing in our gym so is there variability that's a great question to ask yourself if you don't if you're not allowing for high levels of variability in every activity then the research the theory, the practicality of what you're doing has been shown that you're not really creating the most adaptable athlete that you could and that's really what we want we want adaptable athletes um, So variability is a big one um, uh, so here's the three Rob, Talks about these three things. And I, I really agree with these. I think this is a really great place to start when we when we think about this, is making sure that these that all activities, no matter what activity you're choosing to do, has these three things. First one, make sure the same information and information sources are present as they would be in the game. Right. So if I'm in serve receive, what's my information source to be the best serve receiver I could be? The server and the ball. Are those present in the activity you're doing? If they're not, then you're not creating the most effective learning environment for serve receive. Right? If you've got a, a machine that's serving a ball, if you are hiding the server behind a sheet, these activities do not allow for the same information source and so then because we move because of what we see and we see because of what we move of how we move those always need to be coupled as as uh, Rob likes to say keep them coupled and so we need to have those information sources present all the time um, to have an effective learning environment and to increase the rate of transfer from practice to competition so that's a big one. Um So that's number one is the information and the information sources. Um, the second one would be um, what what ecological dynamics people call task dynamics, um, which is really just like, what are the, what's the intent of the task? What's the, you know, things like the speed and direction of movement in the task? What's the, um intent of what we're doing so if we're working on serve receive what is the intent of serve receive in the game the intent is to pass the ball so your setter can set it well then an activity like letting the ball bounce between your legs is not and is doesn't have as much transfer because the intent of the activity is not the same right Um, And while I totally understand why people do that activity, I've always felt like, can't we do that exact same activity, but add in passing the ball and get double the outcome from it, right? Um, So, yeah, so those are those two. um, We've got the information sources we've got the the task dynamics or just the task details I guess is kind of how you could put it like are the the details the same as we would see them in the game and then the third one being the fancy word of ecological dynamics which a lot of people have a problem with uh, I don't I love it which is affordances um, and I've always thought of the affordances as invitations to action um, you know if if I'm a outside hitter and i go up to swing and the block has left me line that's an affordance that's an invitation for action the action being hit the ball down the line um, so we want to make sure not only that there are affordances present that there are invitations to action present but we want more than one most of the time in a traditional coaching situation there. are There is affordances, but or there is an affordance, the one the coach told you to do. Okay, we're going to go practice hitting the ball down the line. We're going to go practice passing off of, you know, from from, uh, the left back. We're going to go practice setting a ball to the outside hitter. So we repeat the same invitation to action over and over and over again in hopes of getting better at it, whereas what we really want If we really want to get the most out of our practice time, we're going to make sure that they have choice, that there are more than one affordance available so that we can actually have discussions with them about which one might have been the better one instead of just do what the coach says. You know, I mean that for there was a point in time in my coaching career where I really wanted to own that shirt that said, if at first you don't succeed, try doing what your coach told you the first time. Um, at this point in my career, I would like to burn those shirts because it's like, if at first you don't succeed, go and go and try it again. You know, let's go back to the first instance of that saying, let's go try it again. Explore some more. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. So, you know, affordances again, just invitations for action opportunities to respond to what we see going on around us. Do we have more than one possible way to solve the problem in front of us? Uh, I think a a good example would be, you know, if you're working six on six in some sort of wash game or um, whatever you might be doing, and you are wanting your team to, uh, you know, maybe a class, this is kind of a classic one, I think that we see a lot of times every team in the history of the sport has probably struggled at some point in time, covering the tip over the block, you know, like whether it be the tip into the donut or the waterfall down the back of the block. I think we've all had teams that struggled with that and a classic response to that is if you go back into practice after the tournament, you say, Hey, we really struggle with this. So now I'm going to stand on a box and I'm going to get you guys in base and I'm going to tip and you guys are going to come in and cover it. So that's one affordance. There's only one possible solution to the problem in front of us. There's only one problem in front of us. There's not multiple problems in front of us. So really we're not actually learning anything. We're just rehearsing a movement based on what the coach told us to do. Whereas for me, what I would do in a circumstance like that is I would be have six on six going on on the court or as close to that as I could. And I would tell one team, Hey, if you can get a tip into the donut, you get two bonus points. So instead of one point, it's going to be a three point play. If you tip into the donut other side, Hey, if you can cover the tip and turn it into a kill, You guys get three bonus points. So now there's a lot of other things that could could still happen, right? If the tip's not available, we're not forcing the team to tip to the middle. They can still score a point off a swinging deep, deep, uh, you know, sharp cross or deep line. They can still score a point off of a block. They can still score all these other ways, but they can get extra points by tipping into the middle. So you're going to, so that's one of the issues that I hear from a lot of coaches is, Well, if we're just in there playing the game a lot, then we don't see these circumstances that we wanna work on enough. Well, then create an activity that incentivizes and amplifies those activities. You want to work on tips, so create an activity where they're gonna tip more often, right, Um, and and, I mean, Keegan Cook, congratulations to him, by the way, on his new position, but uh, he's one who, I learned this extremely powerful saying from which is points and participation are the best motivating factor. Um, And I love that. Like you throw anybody that's walking out on that volleyball court wants to play because they want to win. That's part of what we're doing. So give them an easier route to winning by giving them bonus points for doing a certain activity. They're probably going to do that activity more often. Um, And then on the other side, if you give them bonus points for countering that activity because that's really where our focus was. It wasn't on, we need to be better at tipping. It was, we need to be better at covering the tip, but how then do we encourage our team on the other side to tip more if they know we're getting ready to cover it? Well, we need to create an activity where they might not tip. So I have to be ready for everything still. But then when they do tip, we're gonna work really hard to cover it, get a good set, get a kill. And now we are creating an environment where we're learning how to read the tip better how to, and how to turn it into a good pass so that we can actually get a kill. I'm not a big fan of giving extra points for contacts in the middle of a rally. I don't like that. I think everything should be connected to the outcome of the rally. So you covered the tip, you guys got a bonus point. Well, what if you covered the tip and the ball went flying out of bounds? Like, right, you know, right. like to me, it's gotta be, it's a, we're a team. We, everything we do should be related to what we do as a team. So can we, as a team, Turn that tip into a kill. Great. Now we now it's a bonus point for us. Um, you know. So yeah. So hopefully those those are the three big ones. Um, uh, you know. That's kind of straight from Rob again, but I think that meshes with what a lot of folks that I talk to in the eco, ecological dynamics realm I believe is really important for the transfer from practice environment to the training environment is to have those three things present. Um, having variability present, um, having, um, you know, your task dynamic or sorry, variability was above that, but having your information sources the same, having your task dynamics the same, and then having um, your affordances present and definitely having more than one, um, one, more than one opportunity to respond to the action that's going on in front of you. Um, and then on top of that, I would just add that um, you know Rob had a podcast he did a little while back, not too long ago, where he actually talked about the fact that the game is not the best way to teach the game, and I thought it was really a great message um, because it is something that I've struggled with that 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 message for years. And I've not, it's not, I don't really believe, I've never really truly believed that just go play the game and. Well, I mean, if you just go play the game, you will get better. But is it the most efficient use of your time? No. Right, right. If it was, then everybody who played the game would be the best in the world. So it's like, how can we alter the game to make it more efficient than playing the game? That's what the ecological dynamics is all about. That's what the constraints that approach is all about, is how can we alter the game? How can we add in constraints to the game itself? To alter it to make it more efficient and effective as a learning process. And so, um, with that, I mean, some of the things that we want to be able to do is we want to amplify the information sources, right? So, how do we get the information sources that we're seeing to be more important to the kids so that they'll actually look at them more often? I mean, that's reading, right? We want kids to be experts at reading if they want to be good at volleyball. I think every adult volleyball player out there, I know I've had this experience and I've talked to so many people who've had this experience, remembers the day when reading clicked for them. You know, like I remember it on blocking specifically playing beach doubles in Phoenix as I was learning the game. That one time where I finally looked at the hitter, saw what they were going to do and blocked them because of that. And it was like, my mind was blown. It was like, just this crazy moment for me. And I see that with a lot of kids where they finally key in on the relevant information source and realize how much easier the game is when they do that. And so can we find ways to amplify that information? Um, That's important. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You know, I mean, I don't know, you can do some silly things like, you know, the hitters or the defensive players got to call out the color of the shirt of the hitter before the balls hit. That tells you that they looked at the hitter, you know, or, you know, and there's a lot of things that people will do to try to get kids eyes off the ball and onto the hitter or blockers eyes off the ball and onto the hitter or off the ball and onto the setter. And I think really anything that you're doing with the intent to amplify the information that's already there. When we start to change, which information we're trying to read from the source, that's when we are moving in the wrong direction, I think. But what is the information that we want to see on a setter? We want to see what their hands are doing. So if suddenly you were like, well, I want you to tell me what color their shoes are. Well, now we're not getting our information from the right source anymore. Um, So that's, you know, learning how, exploring ways to amplify the information sources and pretty much in our game the information source is always the person who's about to touch the ball yeah. or, or has the ball in their hands like if it's the server
2: that's where something like lowering the net i've liked as a constraint because as a as a receiver you know it, it nudges you to get information sooner Yep. or even if you're playing defense right if you're not getting information early enough the ball is going to get on too too fast so it, it pushes you to explore and that's what it's small small
1: sided games do that too you know right. like if you're right. playing on a court that's 15 feet deep rather than 30 feet deep and somebody's serving at you sure they can't serve their hardest serve anymore but still the ball still gets to you quicker mm. so you've got to be reading them or if they're hitting and you're playing on a short court and you know you're playing with people who can bounce the ball on a 10 foot line and you're playing on a court that's 15 feet long rather than 30 feet long, you are very invested in learning in reading where they're going to hit before they hit, because it's not only easier to dig, it could be a lifesaver, <laughs> you know? So I think it's, you're right. Like finding, you can alter the constraints of the game to uh, give them a reason to look at the player. But one of the, the, um, errors we make as a coach is telling them to what, what to see, like what to, what, what is it that you're reading? Okay. When their hand goes like this and when their hands like this. And so then we start solving the problem for them again, instead of getting them to explore and learn, you know, I think John said it many times and I've heard it in other sports too, from other coaches in other sports who've said, you know, tell them where to look, but not what to see. Um, it's, it's You should be looking at the person who's going to control the ball. I want you to see what you can figure out from that person that will help you play defense. And then it's about you standing in the right spot as a coach to be able to tell whether they're actually looking at that person or not. And then having conversations with them about what are they learning from looking at that person. Um, There is research out there showing that when we as specific to the sport of volleyball, that when we as coaches, tell players where to look. It doesn't really alter where they're looking. Instead, what we got to do is give them a reason to change where they're looking, which is like you were saying, change the constraints, lower the net. Um, One that I really enjoy, you guys are probably familiar with smash ball game developed in, uh, I think in Sweden or the Netherlands for boys to get interested in the sport where they lower the net basically down to like tennis height. and, you're allowed to bounce on the first, you're allowed to let the ball bounce and then catch the first contact. So you got these boys who are, you know, 10, 11 years old, just wailing on the ball, but kids are learning to read where it's going because they have to, right? Mm -hmm. And you're given a little bit more time because of the bounce. So I can read where that player's hitting, cool. We played it a lot in the rise gym. It was one of the more favored games for all levels really um it's kind of an equalizer because if you've got somebody who can just absolutely crush a ball doesn't matter it actually makes it easier (laughs) because if i you know if i bounce a ball on the 10-foot line players are just going to walk in and catch it as it falls from the ceiling but then it's you've got that kid who can never hit down but always hits super deep and flat and the ball bounces maybe a foot off the ground that one was those kids all would win more. And so they would love the fact, here's a volleyball game. I actually win more often, you know? Um, but the thing we reason why we played it so much and I enjoyed it is that actually, we actually saw a pretty specific change in the way kids would read the hitter playing that game because they had to, in order to be successful, they had to figure out where the person was hitting before they hit it, or there was no way to win the game. Um, and, you know, anything like that, where you are amplifying the, the information source or augmenting the information information source too, you know? Um, and I know that's a big one with things like soccer, um, and rugby. Um, I not 100% sure on how I would differentiate between augmenting or, uh, amplifying the information source in volleyball, but something I'd be, I, I'm still exploring some um, other things is, you know, like overloading the, 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 the person um, with information so that they have to get better at sifting through the noise and focusing on the one important piece of information um, so that they're not starting to link unimportant things to the outcomes. Um Marion Davies, who's one of my mentors in this uh, ecological dynamic realm, wrote a paper about that idea that you know they took an AI and they showed it a bunch of photos of different dogs. And in in an order to try to have this AI, oh actually it was dogs and wolves. Sorry. So it was showed a bunch of pictures of dogs, bunch of pictures of wolves. And the point was to try to teach the site AI to differentiate between. Domesticated dogs and wild wolves, and uh, when they went and tested it on it, it had a great, great success on figuring out which was which. Until um, like northern breeds were shown, like huskies and akitas and malamutes, and the, the programmers thought it was simply because of the how much how similar they can kind of look to wolves at times, and they got into the programming of it and realized that actually the reason why is because every picture they had ever shown to the AI of the wolves had snow in the background and every picture that they had shown of these Northern breeds had snow in the background. So it had started to link unimportant information to the outcome of the decision between wolf or dog. And that was the point she was trying to make in that is a lot of times our players, our athletes, are linking unimportant information to the outcome of what's happening. And if we can, and so that's why we want to augment the important information or amplify it. And then if you have a player who is not getting any information, you could probably try overloading them with things to make sure that they're learning how to pick out specific information, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, again, in, uh, in serve receive, you turn up the music really loud, you have teammates yelling and screaming at each other. You have all this information coming in to test their ability to still stay focused in on the most important information source in that moment, which is the server and their hand contact on the ball. Yeah. So, yeah. So those are, I mean, that's that's just some, Ideas again. I don't, you know, in answer to your question, I don't really think it's here's some activities that are going to be more in line with ecological dynamics. Can you? Sure. But once you start to understand what ecological dynamics is, you can pretty much take any activity, put it, add in variability, add in the affordances, add in the information sources, add in the action dynamics activities are going to start looking a lot like the game or a version of the game that has harder things going on or more specific focus on one active one part of the game. Um, you know, and that was again what Rob was talking about when he was saying that the, the game itself is not a great teacher. We want to take slices of the game and emphasize the information sources and em- emphasize the um the affordances things like that rather than just always play the whole game um yeah so hopefully that yeah,
2: yeah no it's great because a lot of it's you know kind of principle based instead of here's a recipe on what you should do so it allows people to go explore and figure it out and i mean a lot of them i think we could have gone down rabbit holes with a lot of those ideas but the uh the smash ball i hadn't heard of that and i've, I've gotten more- it looks yeah i want to check it out and not I've a beach more.
1: activity okay yeah yeah i guess it
0: different bounces but
2: i've gotten yeah. um more into this idea of donor sports we had dr joe baker on and yeah. just the idea of uh and then so actually this this off season uh, over our winter break with lmu all of our athletes have a donor sport that they're gonna oh, nice. they're gonna they chose um, that they're gonna do yeah. for the you know the four weeks so uh, maybe that'll be one i can add to the repertoire but
1: uh, yeah i mean yeah, i love the idea you know i obviously uh sitting volleyball is great Sport. i mean you want somebody to get be forced by the constraints of the game to have a better arm swing and have them play sitting volleyball Mm. (laughs) Um, if you have a a weak ability to rotate in your swing you know you're not going to be a great sitting volleyball hitter (laughs) Mm. I mean, I discovered that I spent a month in their gym with them last October and in uh, Oklahoma with the women's sitting volleyball team that had just won a gold medal. Um, Michelle Goodall is their assistant coach, and she's a friend of mine. And I I was on my travels over the winter, traveling all over the United States. And she invited me to come and stay with her and uh, coach with her while the team was there um, during their weekly coaching activities. But then also they had two camps while I was there. So I got to work with both the men and the women and I'll tell you what mind blown my absolute mind blown it is so much like our sport and so different all at the same time and just so amazed at the ability of those people it was you know you watch and play and you're like this is pretty cool and then you sit down and try to play with them and you're like okay uh well I'm I'm back to square one beginner white belt um I don't know how to play this game and you guys are absolutely crushing it it was It was really cool to see um but that was one big thing that bill the head coach of the program he's adamant about that i mean he runs a club there in oklahoma city area and says he uses sitting volleyball to teach most of his youth hitters to how to have a how to swing the ball better Um, rather than tell them how to swing he just gets them on the ground and has them play sitting volleyball and then they end up developing better better swinging mechanics without him having to say a word what do you do to get the net so low Um, you can, the easiest way that I've seen it done is just, uh, take it off the top and flip it upside down, tie it Uh, to the bottom. It'll usually be, I mean, that will usually go down, you know, it depends on your system, but you could probably then just slide it down until it's at the floor. Um, I've seen other, people come up with other things we had a system at rise we had a system developed by a company up in portland that they called bazooka poles where the the part where the net connected actually slid all the way up and down the poles so we could just loosen it a little and slide it all the way to the floor and we would have within 30 seconds we would have sitting volleyball court that's great yeah we need that Um, And that's a fun one, yeah. But Smash balls, look it up. There's some cool videos on YouTube. Um, it's usually spelled like different than Smash ball because it's coming out of like Denmark or Sweden. (laughs) I think it's like S O S M O S H B O L or something like that. Cool. Um, But yeah, look it up. It's fun to watch. They invented it because they were having a problem getting boys involved in volleyball, and they wanted to get more boys going and so they just said what do boys love the most about volleyball when they're like 10 years old well they like the idea of spiking yeah. so let's create a game that is primarily about spiking so like level one smash ball is one-on-one the ball comes over the net it bounces you catch it you run up to the net you throw it in the air and you smash it down on the <laughs> other side and That's you just great. play that for like 30 minutes straight you know That's awesome. and then you add in a partner so now I catch the first ball. My partner runs the net. I toss it to them. They set me and I go and smash it and they do full on leagues of smash ball where they will have, you know, champions of 25 teams uh, of playing smash ball. It's pretty, it's pretty fun though. It's a really fun game to watch them play. Cool. mean, um, they usually play it. I think they've started pretty much now playing it uh, mixed. So it's girls and boys. Um, cause it's something that you can do, uh, mixed pretty easily, especially at that age when they're a lot more equal in their athleticism. So, cool.
0: Cool. I love the, the sitting game. Cause just tonight we've been playing couch volleyball with my seven-year-old and like, you know, he's getting too big. And so he's just hitting it straight down. And so we actually had the Christmas tree box, like stacked atop the couch and pillows Perfect. trying to make the net higher. But I could just have him sit down.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's, and in, you know, you, there's so many benefits from it. It's absolutely unbelievable because like, I mean, you got, you, you work with your college athletes, John, you know, like a lot of them build up these like inefficiencies in the way their hips and their quads move because of our sedentary lifestyles. When they're not with you, they're probably sitting most of the time. And so they've got tight hips and man, you play sitting volleyball for like three weeks and your hips will feel like they are brand new. <laughs> you know because you're always shifting from side to side and you're in these positions that really challenge them. You build up amazing shoulder strength because you're constantly pushing around the floor. That's how you move as you push off with your hands. First day I played, I woke up the next morning and thought I could never raise my hands above my head again. It was super painful, but after doing it for like three weeks with them, I started to get you know a lot more comfortable with it and could suddenly figure out how some of these, Like the libero on the men's team, this guy, you know, he has no, no legs and the guy's faster than I am on my feet. Like he's just flying around the court, digging balls. And I'm just like, how is he able to do this? And then, you know, you start to realize we adapt, our bodies adapt, you know, to whatever constraints were put on them and sitting volleyball just has more constraints than the standing game does. And those people, have learned to deal with their own individual constraints. You know, one of the girls had no hand and yet could set the ball better than I could. And, you know, guy with no legs is moving around the court faster than somebody on their feet would digging balls. It was, it was absolutely, I mean, it was the perfect environment to really show the power of the constraints led approach. Like these people all come in with their own really hard constraints that they bring in with them. And then the game of, sitting volleyball has some additional constraints that make it even harder. And yet they've all adapted to that and play at this, an unbelievably fast, powerful level. You know, the court's so much smaller that when they're hitting some of those guys and girls hit the ball just as hard as people when they're jumping. And yet you are four feet away from the ball when they're hitting it, (laughs) playing defense and you're just like self-preservation mode, you know? And it's, it, it's, it was so fun. Like I, I really want to see if I can get a group going here of some kind, whether it be adults or kids, I just want to play it again. I just want to have fun playing it again. So cool.
0: Well, Lauren, thank you so much for breaking down these concepts and giving us some practical examples. And yeah, hopefully the more coaches we get coaching this way, um, we'll be able to get that buy-in in the future from kids and from organizations, and then they can get all the benefits of it too. So, so thanks for all your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys being willing to have conversations about it, too, because I think that always helps uh, when people hear more about it and are willing to maybe go out and explore a little bit and see what happens.
2: we got to do it again in seven years and see how much more we've learned. <laughs> I think when we did it seven years ago, I was pretty reluctant, and uh, now I'm drinking the Kool-Aid
1: yeah, thanks well, to people like you. So. Well, it's, that's good. I mean, I, if I had a part in your guys' uh, transformation at all, then I'm very happy i'm not sure i did but i'm glad to have been there at the beginning and glad to see what you guys are doing with it now too so
0: well lauren's a contrarian so in seven years he'll be on to
1: something else yeah, yeah. it's like too many people <laughs> yeah. are doing this yeah yeah once eco d becomes the mainline thing yeah, yeah. i'll be like nah there's got to be something else out there that's too that's too edgy for most people to care yeah. about so. yeah yeah that's right cool
0: cool well thanks thanks lauren
1: yeah thank you guys